0: All right, well, good morning. Trying out a, uh different camera today. Hopefully this is all going to work out pretty well. We'll give it a go and see how it goes. So, all right. But we're going to pick up our study actually in Daniel's 70 week prophecy, which is in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. And uh, we were in there yesterday looking at verse 24. We kind of got going on the study. And uh, let me just quickly kind of run through where we are so far in this. Uh, Daniel again was praying because he recognized that the time of Israel's captivity was up and they were about to be released. And this, according to Jeremiah's prophecy in places like Jeremiah 25, uh, Jeremiah 29, the, um, the mention in 2 Chronicles uh, about um, the, the, um, the captivity being 70 years. And as Daniel looked at essentially his calendar and uh, realized that that 70 years was about up, he set himself to pray. Now, he pointed out the importance of recognizing uh, that Daniel took Jeremiah's prophecy literally, he took it seriously. That's that 70 years. He thought, okay, seventy years, and so certainly as um, as he began to send himself to pray, uh, uh, eventually um, at the seventy year point, Israel was released and so sent back to go ahead or let go to go ahead and rebuild um, the temple, of Jerusalem and such. So that being said, um, we just point out pointed out the fact, took the opportunity to consider the fact that when it comes to um um our in, our approach to interpreting prophecy we don't necessarily want to start with the idea of of Allegorizing or, or assuming everything is symbolic. So we take the the passages at face value unless we have good reason to consider them to be symbolic or something like that. So that being said, uh, in brief, the prophecy that Gabriel then goes on to give Daniel, which he tells him is meant to be understood. The idea is not to veil something, but rather to unveil something, to let him know what is going to come and that he would understand it. Uh, what is he to understand? Well, that there are 70 weeks or 70 Uh, sets of seven-year periods of time uh, that are appointed, and this is very important. I'm thinking I may not have actually took a minute on this yesterday, so it's good we're doing this. But 70 weeks are appointed or determined for your people and your holy city. Now, that's a very key point that helps us understand the focus of what this prophecy or who this prophecy ultimately is focused upon. That is the Jewish people and their holy city, which is Jerusalem and so the prophecy that is given here uh, in these uh, next uh, in these four verses has to do with the Jewish people uh, and Jerusalem okay now this is very important for us because when for example uh, by way of connecting the dots we uh, we see Jesus give his Olivet Discourse Matthew 24 Mark 13, Luke 21. Um, this this uh, this discourse, this teaching um, has to do with the last days and it's extremely Jewish, Israel-centric nature really connects itself here with what Daniel is talking about. And as we go through the passage here, and if you are, are prone, uh, to if you want to, uh, if you're so inclined to listen to our study on the Elevate Discourse that we just finished last week, uh, you can see how these ideas connect. So that being said, the uh, 70 weeks, or this 490 year period of time, deals specifically with the Jewish people and Israel that doesn't mean that other people won't be impacted or affected by what happens during this period of time but the focal point is on Israel and on the Jewish people and so uh, we mentioned how there were a number of things that were going to happen during this 70 year period of time or that were prophesied to happen namely again in verse 24 that there would be a finishing of the uh, finishing of the transgression making an end of sin make reconciliation for iniquity bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place and so these are the things that will take place during this 490 year period of time uh, so uh, verse 25 uh, uh, we also mentioned how there is a starting point to these 70 weeks and a Finishing point at least that we're aware of already. There has been an, uh, we've we've gone through the first 69 of these 70 weeks uh, We mentioned again how Artaxerxes basically begins uh, this 70 uh, uh, This 490 year period of time with the command to go forth and rebuild Jerusalem and that happens in 445 B.C. Um, ultimately the first 69 of these 70 weeks or 483 years of this 490 year prophecy comes to a comes to a uh, an end at the uh, presentation of Messiah there in Jerusalem And again, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem to make his triumphal entry, he wept over the city and declared how he was going to be judged because they did not recognize this specific day, the day that Daniel spoke of, a day that was 483 years in the making, 173,880 days to be specific. And it's important to be specific like that because what this means is that the people in Jesus' time whom he was weeping over uh, should have known this day of his Coming uh, because Daniel prophesied it literally to the day. And we mentioned yesterday, I held up uh, Robert, Sir Robert Anderson's book, The Coming Prince, where he did a lot of the legwork in figuring all this stuff out. And you, we really owe him a great debt for that. So, that being said, um, uh, there would be the 69 weeks ultimately leading up to the coming of Messiah. Now, in verse 26, uh, we pick up basically where we left off last time. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah will be cut off. For well, the word there means, uh, and is is uh, understood to mean the idea that he'll be killed. Okay, now he, the Messiah, will be cut off or killed, but not for himself. Of course, we know who the Messiah is, and we recognize that he died ultimately not for himself. Uh, he was ultimately crucified, not for himself, but ultimately for us and for all uh, for the sins of the world. But not for himself, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end uh, of the war, desolations are determined. Now the reason we're taking sort of a verse at a time is because there is sort of a difference, in an overarching story and an arc that is taking place. But each one of these sets of passages has sort of a focal point. Here in verse 26, we see in this prophecy that Daniel is also told about the idea that after Messiah is ultimately, first off, that he will be killed, and then after he is killed, there will be a, uh, um, the people will converge upon uh, ultimately the temple and the sanctuary and they will destroy it. Okay, now that happens in 70 AD under Titus Vespasian the two Roman legions he brings in to ultimately sack the city and the temple ultimately is destroyed you might remember how at the beginning of the Olivet Discourse um, Jesus is uh, speaking to the idea that there will come a day when not one stone will be left in, uh, upon another um, and so this takes place in 70 AD when the city and the temple are destroyed uh, as the story goes, under Titus, his, his intention was not to have the temple destroyed, but ultimately uh, to be able to sort of take some of the stuff out of the temple and keep it as a prize and all this. However, a fire breaks out in the temple during this attack, and ultimately the gold in the temple, uh, in some parts of the structure, seep in between some of the stones, and so therefore the, the, the command is given to push the stones off of one another so they can get the gold out of it and that kind of thing. And so, literally, Jesus' prophecy is fulfilled. Uh, and so um, this is uh, spoken of here in Daniel chapter 26. Now notice he says, the people of the prince who shall come. Now this does not just simply speak of those, uh, those who came and attacked the city in 70 AD, but rather it speaks of those who uh, ultimately will fall behind the prince who ultimately will come, who is referred to now in verse 27. Um, so in verse 27, he goes on to say, then he who is he, the prince who shall come, will confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out upon the desolate or upon the desolator. And so the idea here is that there is a time coming when this coming prince will sign a treaty. The many here refers to Israel. Again, this is who's in view in this prophecy. And so, as he signs a covenant with Israel, it seems to have something to do with the idea of sacrifices and offerings taking place in the temple. It doesn't explicitly say that, but it does mention that there are sacrifices and offerings, which does mean that there will be a temple. Whether or not the covenant allows them to build their temple in that time, or whether it just allows them to Uh, perform sacrifices and offerings again like they did under the Old Testament sacrificial system that is a question still up for the debate I I personally think that the covenant itself will become the impetus for them building their third temple Uh, as a matter of fact in Israel today there is a sentiment that uh, Messiah will be known by the fact that he allows them to build their temple again that's a common understanding in Israel even today and so um, of course the one who allows them to build their temple again won't actually be the Messiah. He'll actually be a false Messiah, or as we refer to him as Antichrist, or as he's variously known in places like Revelation 13, as the beast. So, but let's talk about this for just a moment because some questions do arise around this passage. Um, Some see the fulfillment of this passage as having taken place in an event that happened in 165 uh, BC under uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, whose name essentially speaks of a divine kind of a ruler in this sort of thing. But Antiochus, uh, in his—and this takes place during the intertestamental period, uh, between uh, the time of the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament— Antiochus goes in and he uh, ultimately desecrates the temple. In his siege upon Jerusalem, ultimately he desecrates the temple— by setting up a statue of Jupiter in the holy place and slaughtering a pig on the altar. And so, therefore, because this event takes place, uh, some see in this passage a fulfillment in 165 uh, BC. However, the reason we know that's not the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, is because this takes place prior to Jesus' reference to this event. Jesus refers to this event. He speaks in Matthew twenty-four, fifteen, about the when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Well, this very... Uh, a, a, a kind of this event took place under Antiochus because he did set up a an abomination inside the holy place. He did slaughter a pig. He did declare himself to be God and this kind of thing as I recall as I understand the reading. The idea is that he stood up and basically made himself out to be over the God of Israel and this kind of thing. So in a sense, there's a type of fulfillment of this in Antiochus, but it's not the actual fulfillment of it because Jesus pointed to the fulfilling of this passage as yet being future in his time, in Jesus' time. So therefore, Antiochus, who preceded Christ's ministry on the earth, can't be the fulfillment of these things. Jesus speaks about this taking place in the future from his perspective, his time, um, in his earthly ministry, obviously. But So then the next... Potential uh, possibility of its fulfillment is, is sometimes pointed to in 70 AD, the aforementioned uh, attack by Titus Vespasian upon uh, Jerusalem and the temple, uh, where the temple is destroyed. Now, the fact that the temple was destroyed during that period of time means that this event also was not the fulfilling of Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, because Antiochus never, or not Antiochus, uh, um, Titus never went into the temple. And declared himself to be God he never set up an abomination the temple was destroyed and so this event did not take place uh, according to what Daniel had said now it hasn't happened any time in history so far so that means for even from our perspective here in 2021 this event has yet to take place which means that there will have to be a third temple built um, uh, in which the uh, this 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 coming prince or the antichrist as he's referred to, or matter of fact, let's turn to Second Thessalonians chapter two because this same person uh, also goes by a couple of different names as well. In 2 Thessalonians chapter two, um, we will look at uh, verses three and four, where Paul tells the Thessalonians whom he has instilled some of this knowledge in, even in the brief time that he was with them, about three Sabbaths when he planted the church and established them before he was run out of uh, Thessalonica. Uh, Acts 17, you can read about this. Now he says here to the Thessalonians, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come until the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of of perdition. So a couple of other titles of this person the beast, the antichrist, he's also known as the man of sin, the son of perdition. Verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now what is Paul saying there? Well, he's basically explaining what was in view in Daniel's prophecy in chapter 9 verse 27, and he's also foretelling something that John the Apostle will go on to describe uh, in in detail as well in Revelation 13 uh, when he speaks of one who will come ultimately to go into the temple, will declare himself to be God and demand to be worshipped above all that is called God. Now I will leave it to you to read Revelation chapter 13 because we spend lots of time there and actually very recently on Sunday mornings in our Revelation study at church uh, have spent some time in that. So if you want to watch those videos, you can as well, but certainly read the passage and you will see a continuity between Daniel's prophecy, not just in chapter 9, but in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 9 again, 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation 13, and there are other passages as well that can be brought to bear on this, but we see the continuity of the description of this person and what they will do uh, ultimately in fulfilling the events that fall into the 70th week of Daniel now the 70th week of Daniel just to kind of begin to tie this together uh, back in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 that 70th week begins with the signing of that covenant which means that once that covenant between Antichrist and Israel is signed a peace covenant that, again, has something to do, maybe everything to do with their beginning to um, uh, begin sacrifices and offerings once again, that begins the last seven-year period of man's dominion on the earth before Christ comes and establishes his kingdom at the end of the 70th week of Daniel. Um, Sometimes, and matter of fact, I've been guilty of this oftentimes myself, the 70th week of Daniel is sometimes variously called the tribulation period, that's not exactly accurate I'm trying to make sure that I don't kind of fall into my old habits of just sort of um, I guess frankly carelessly just sort of calling that period of time by that name really the, the, the tribulation period or the great tribulation is just the last three and a half years of that seven year period of time and so the Antichrist, the way this plays out, is the Antichrist, or again as he's called in Revelation 13, the beast, the Antichrist will sign a covenant with Israel that will last seven years. Uh, whether it's it's written out as a seven year covenant or whether it just turns out it's seven years because we know what the scriptures have to say about it, it will be a seven year period of time. In the middle of that seven-year period of time, as Daniel says in chapter 9, verse 27, uh, and is as is described in Revelation chapters 12 and 13, he will go into the temple, like Paul says here in Second Thessalonians 2, and he will declare himself to be God, and he will demand that all of the sacrifices and offerings cease. Why? Because he will demand to be worshipped. Israel will not worship him, they will realize that they've made a mistake, they've been duped, they've been deceived. And in Revelation 12, we see, in concert with the overall events of chapters 12 and 13 in Revelation, the Antichrist begins a a persecution upon uh, Israel that will, unfortunately, far overshadow even Hitler's Holocaust. Um, By that point, about a third of Israel uh, remains, after the persecution from Antichrist. So it is a terrifying terrifying time uh, uh, Oh shoot the passage escapes me right the moment But I think it's uh, Zechariah chapter 10 I think describes how two-thirds of Israel will be wiped out during this time It's gonna be a terrible terrible time, but one-third of Israel will remain and they will enter into the millennial kingdom so that being said um at the midway point, three and a half years into this seven-year covenant, Antichrist violates the covenant. Worship of uh, you know the sacrifice and offerings, I should say, cease in the temple, and he declares himself to be God to be worshipped. It's at this point that we read in Revelation chapter thirteen that the false prophet, the second beast, that is described in Revelation thirteen. Again, this is why we want to make sure we read that passage. The uh, the uh, false prophet sets up a Uh, a statue, an image of the Antichrist. He he commands for it to be built and he sets it up there in the holy place and demands for it to be worshipped in honor of the Antichrist. As a matter of fact, it's in association with the worship of this image of the beast that the mark of the beast is required to be taken and all of these events that you read about there. So at the end of that seven-year period of time, this is where everything that is... Uh, happening in the book of Revelation is taking place inside of this seven year period of time uh, the most intensive judgments of God are falling down now in these final days of that last three and a half year period and it is at the end of those final plagues uh, the bold judgments that, are, that, that they read about in Revelation that we're currently going through actually um, or we uh, just finished actually um, after those events take place Babylon falls and Christ returns to establish his kingdom in chapter 19. He comes with the saints, Jude refers to this, uh, quoting from the book of Enoch, uh, an apocryphal book, but he quotes from it talking about how ten thousands of his saints will come with him. Uh, we see this in Revelation 19. We see reference to this in, uh, in um, uh, Colossians uh, 2, and uh, the idea that we will come with him in glory. And so when he returns, the saints who have been raptured away prior to all these things ultimately I believe prior to the 70th week of Daniel if you want to watch our study on the rapture in this series um, uh, you can see my thoughts on that but, um, but that essentially then in thumbnail sketch fashion is how this unfolds the 70th week of Daniel or what it's about at least the 70 week prophecy ultimately culminating in that 70th of the 70 weeks that last seven year period of time uh, that Daniel speaks of that Jesus speaks of that Paul speaks of the Bible gives us a lot of information about so this is um, um, this is you know this now has been the the next part of our series on how I think things ultimately unfold in the last days so we're going to continue in this series for a little bit. We're also going to um, um, you know, interdisperse as we always do, some of our other studies, uh, verse-by-verse study in Romans. We're making our way through other topics that are kind of on my heart that I'm kind of wanting to share about a little bit here uh, as we gather around the Word together. And so, um, so, so there you go. Thanks for watching, and uh, I hope that that helps bring some clarity to what some of these uh, concepts are about uh, in these last couple of episodes, in particular in relation to Daniel's 70-week prophecy. Um, again, part of the reason why we're doing these studies is because prophecy as a theme in Scripture is oftentimes... Uh, by many believers even seasoned believers sometimes are very intimidated by the subject of prophecy and so I think it's just valuable for us from time to time especially because it's a part of the overall study of Scripture to take time to kind of break these things down and give some understanding to it now as a caveat I will mention and in fairness to people that hold some different views about some of these things there are those that hold some differing views about some of these things for example I believe the rapture of the church will happen prior to the 70th week of Daniel. I think the rapture could happen at any moment. I think that before I hit stop on the record button here that we could be gone Uh, and I get really excited about that. It's just I love the idea that that Jesus could come at any time. But there are some that hold that Jesus won't come until a certain number of events have taken place that we read about in the book of Revelation. Brothers and sisters together that's all fine and good. We have room for difference of view on some of these you know, they are peripheral. They're not the gospel. They are the implications that come out of the gospel. But the gospel itself is its own thing that uh, that has to be understood and believed for what it is. But questions like the rapture or the timing of it or maybe the particular order that some of these events take place, that is, there's room for discussion and debate on that. I'm just simply sharing, and that's why I put in the title to our overall series. This is what I think. Is sort of the sequence uh, the order of events in these things so I hope it's helpful at least there's nothing else it at least get you to open the scripture and kind of make your way through these things and begin to start looking at passages and comparing scripture with scripture and um and building your understanding of these things. I hope it's helpful. So that being said, again, appreciate you watching and listening and following along, and uh, we'll continue on in the days ahead. But for now, Father, we just want to thank you for the time you give us to spend time looking at these things, to consider uh, your prophetic plan and purposes that are working themselves out in our day and in the soon coming days ahead. Father, we thank you for the gospel and that, Father, the things that will come upon the earth in ultimate judgment, and then finally those things even in the final judgment, the great white throne judgment at the very, very end. uh, Father, we thank you that as your children, those of us who are believers in Christ will not have to endure your wrath, and we thank you for this. Father, we thank you because Jesus took our wrath upon himself as he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. In him, Thank you for that beautiful, grace-filled, grace-overflowing transaction that took place, Father, not because of anything that we ever did or certainly never deserved, but simply because you are gracious and good and loving and long to see sinners saved. And so we thank you, Father, for all of this. We pray that, Father, in the days ahead, you would let us be instruments in your hand to... Uh, to bring the gospel into the ends of the earth, to uh, make disciples of the nations, as Jesus told his, uh, his own disciples to do, his apostles to do. We pray that, Father, we would be mindful of the days in which we're living, that we'd not be uh, unaware of things that are happening, that, Father, we would, on the one hand, pour ourselves into the pursuit of understanding these things, but even further than that, as we recognize the days in which we're living, Help that knowledge to cause us to draw ever closer to you, even more so than we've ever been before. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us, and we just simply love you in return. So thank you, Father. We praise you, we bless you, and thank you, and lift all these things up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.